0: Hey everybody, and welcome into the New England Ski Journals Base Camp Podcast. I'm Eric Wilbur, joined by my co-host Mike Specian. Mike, how are you? Hey, good afternoon, Eric. I'm doing fantastic. It is. It's. It, it's at this taping. It's hot and humid out, and it's a little oppressive. It's nice to get into a nice air conditioned studio and talk some skiing.
1: Yeah, you know what? Numbers just came out over the last two weeks about what New England did in skiing this past year. Mm-hmm. It's, we knew it was busy, but I had no idea the amount of people that were on the hill were actually there. It's, it's remarkable.
0: I mean, if you go back to May, the National Ski Areas Association released its numbers, and they reported 64.7 million skier visits over the course of the 2020, 22, 23 season. That's a 6.6 increase over the previous record campaign. So we're talking so we're talking big numbers here. So on a New England scale though, New Hampshire and Vermont have both released their
1: numbers recently and what are we looking at there? Well, Vermont came out first I believe. They were up 10%, reported 4.1 million skier visits. Understand when you and I were here doing podcasts in January, we were wondering if anybody was going to ski at all when yep. it was so bad. Correct. Yeah so that's pretty impressive new hampshire they came back with a 13 percent increase at 2.2 million skier visits or skier and snowboard visits snow sport visits Mm -hmm. which is once again incredible considering we didn't really get snow until second week of february right
0: so jess keeler president of ski new hampshire said of the combined performances across all activities Visits to our member ski areas this season came to about 2.5 million and represented a 12% increase over the previous season's 2.2. That's remarkable. And I mean, yes, we got to consider that just a couple of years ago we were just trying to battle within our own states and couldn't leave our own counties because of COVID, and just in a few years to, to look at these numbers. And number one, COVID, I think told a lot of people like, if you're not getting out in the outdoors, you should be getting out in the outdoors, right? And I think that that started an influx, particularly look at the cross-country numbers. They're, they're through the roof. So it doesn't surprise me to see an increase in skiing numbers just a few years after the pandemic. But to this level, and is this sustainable, right? Is this a number, like, can we keep increasing this every single year? I don't see how we can do that. I mean, God, I mean, I, I hope you know, that the more people skiing, the better, because it speaks for the longevity and the health of the sport. A 6.6% increase every single year is is, is going to bottom out at some point.
1: Well, you got to realize that that number does not mean there are more skiers. It means there are more skier visits. And that has made, been made possible by these superpasses, by the Epic, by the Icon by the indie, because it's become very easy. The only way the the ski industry is going to be sustainable in that way is by us bringing new skiers in. And nobody is doing a good job at that at the moment.
0: Right. And that's, I think, when we talk about, and I don't want to compare this to something like global warming, right? But in the same respect of we have this major issue laying in front of us and what do we do? We make little steps to try and prevent the worst thing from happening. But in a grand scheme of things, growing skiers is not necessarily at the top of the list. And I think that's unfortunate because, I mean, look, you can, you can, there are plenty of places that do tremendous work at teaching kids how to skate. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about bringing in a new generation into the sport getting them off TikTok and getting them on the slopes. That may be as easy as putting some ski videos on TikTok. Who knows? Because everything that's on that app right now translates to popularity. So I I just, I hope that we can find a way here where we grow skiers and we grow them in different aspects and different cultures and different, you name it. So I hope that this 6.6% increase is in new skiers next year. That'd be great if we could figure that out.
1: Yeah, it, we we need to figure it out because we're all going to age out at some point, and we need the youth to drive the business. But on the cool point right now, the ski visits are still growing. Mm-hmm. Do you know a friend of mine who works for Killington Mountain School KMS? Yep, they're out at Hood River right now. Pulled up the Hood the Timberline webcam, and You got to see the gates on the glacier out there. Everybody's, they're out there, they're out there skiing right now, racing. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Training, I should say. So Timberline is, it's fantastic because they're out there training right now, all the race academies, the summer training camps. But right now for you and I, we could go to Mammoth. We could, yes. Mammoth, Mammoth right now still has a 70 inch base and we're almost to the end of, We're almost to
0: July 4th. Right, right. I mean, as of the last week in June, there was a sliver of a patch still on Killington, so they were holding strong there. So let's give New England a little bit of credit, but nothing compared to out west. I mean, Mammoth, you talk every summer about, is this the year I want to go to South America? Is this the year I want to do Portillo? You don't need it. Just go to Mammoth. You can fly out west for 500 bucks round trip. And, and get your skiing in, which is just truly remarkable to, to be saying this on the, the it, towards Independence Day.
1: Yeah, it's it's crazy how much snow we've seen on the news, the runoff that's happening. The rivers are shut down for whitewater because there's too much water. Is that right? But it's just an absolutely amazing thing, and the fact that we are talking skiing in the middle of the summer now is. Is really cool. Isn't it unbelievable? Yeah. But, but part of the reason is because we wanted to highlight some of the unique things that are happening in New England and two companies that are coming from scratch here in New England, changing the matrix of the ski industry here in New England.
0: Right. Absolutely. So a couple of, of popular New England ski brands coming on. One is Parlor Skis out of East Boston. Tremendous ski, ski manufacturer that has, has really made a name for himself and themselves in New England. And then Eric Hugh from Terrasea, who started the company with a Kickstarter campaign in 2017. Took it from a garage business to a small business while balancing the challenges of breaking into a highly competitive market. We will talk to Terasea, General Manager Vic Satir, and Polar Founder Mark Wallace coming up right after this. Welcome back to the Basecamp Podcast. I'm excited to have our next two guests here representing a pair of independent independent businesses in new england producing some of the best products related to skiing uh, that you can find really from parlor skis founder mark wallace and from teresa general manager vic Satir. gentlemen welcome to the program excited to have this conversation
2: yeah thanks for having us guys yeah i really appreciate that it's nice to
1: be here it's fantastic to have you guys on both brands have such a history here how you You're building something very unique in New England, and we're just excited to hear how this has come about because there's all these big players out there, and then we have these two brands that are totally New England. How did these businesses get started? Vic, why don't we start with you? Thanks, Mike. Teresia got started with our founders Eric Cooey
3: about six years ago, and the story really comes from a very classic observe, get an insight, try to solve a problem situation. And Eric is from Hawaii and he transplanted over to Boston and he came in the winter months and he realized that the weather was so volatile that when he was walking around, he felt like people were always unprepared for whatever weather was going to be thrown their way, whether that was seeing bankers in pea coats sweating in February or a lightweight woven jacket just not doing it when you get that snow squall in April. So it was really about understanding that the elements being so crazy here are kind of a privilege. And setting out to go solve that by creating some of the perfect products for new england and the outside weather
0: excellent and mark i i obviously know the story of you have done many stories on on parlor skis over the years But can you give us a little history on the beginnings of parlor from the actual funeral parlor and in, into today
2: yeah absolutely so we founded parlor skis with the idea that there was not only A much better ski buying experience, but also just a more connected process with the overall build and design and construction of a ski. So we set out over 10 years ago. Now with kind of a dream to, to bring some, some craftsmanship and ski building back to New England, which had always been one of the sort of premier building locations. And a lot of that had gone elsewhere over the years. So we really wanted to build products locally, connect with our clients. And so we started doing that and we built the brand up to be the largest ski and snow ski manufacturer in New England at this point. Tremendous.
1: That is I've followed Parlor from day 1 of course because I'm a New England ski rep and you guys have done amazing things. Both companies. Mark, I know you went to school here in New England and Eric also went to school here in New England. Coming out of college, how did how did this meet- come on the screen? Why did you decide to do this? Vic, do you want to take that one? Go ahead, give it a shot first and so I can come over the top.
2: <laughs> I mean, it just, it, it progressed really naturally, right? So I had a ski racing background and I love being outside. I love business. I love talking to people about skiing. I was working at a construction company after college, building restaurants. And I loved that, but it wasn't really my passion. And so we set out to see if there was, at that point, this was like a lead. 2000, pre 2010, if you wanted a mid fad sandwich construction, all mountain ski, are it was the mantra, the mantra, the mantra, right? The category had not really developed the way it has at this point. And so that was our sort of preliminary design it was like, we want to ski that we can ski hard with this design for the terrain of New England, right? And that product really didn't exist. And so it was a product fit that got us started. But it was really the strength of the ski community in New England and how energized people were about the product and the brand and the way we were selling things that got us motivated and kept us going.
1: What about with Eric, Vic? Eric wasn't able to join us to get today. He's over in in Hawaii, enjoying some time with family, and I can't blame him. So, Vic, how did Eric come about this coming out of college? That's a good, good question. And Eric and I recently talked quite a bit about this because i
3: just kind of enjoy the journey, but Eric, he started in a, in a corporate background working in finance as a project manager. And it was really like some of us do that are outdoor enthusiasts. You get sad at a desk and you realize that for the long-term, maybe this isn't for you kind of thing. And uh, it was really just this desire to build from the ground up and solve something and really make an impact in, in the way that consumers experience type of product so it was really for him doing as much time as he could understanding how corporate environments work and how to sort of manage time and and take as much skill set as he could away to go jump
0: off on his own and try to create his own enterprise of sorts so both parlor and teresia are in, are in very crowded markets in the ski industry so what are the, some of the challenges each brand faces as small independent manufacturers and and how do you overcome those things to establish yourselves as those respected players in the industry? Let's take this one, Mark.
3: In the apparel industry, it's, it's really quite challenging. There's obviously some really big brands that have been swallowed up by these large conglomerates who have tons of marketing money. And if you ask today's consumer, they might not tell you that the world doesn't need another outdoor brand. Hmm. So for us, it's really, the challenge has been staying true to our roots and not trying to boil the ocean and make too much product. But the caveat was trying to stay specific and really stay in a lane, so to speak, is really just the, the sourcing relationship of how to gain our capacity in these factories. We're making highly technical products where some of the big players in the industry also make their product. And when they put a large volume order, it sort of gets shot to the top of the list and, and we got of get slotted in. So I think our challenges are really operational in terms of making sure that we can deliver things in the way that we set out to do accommodating for some deviation along the way. And the only other thing I would say that is sort of a a perennial challenge for us in our stage of business is fundraising and finding the right partners to continue along this journey and for us to execute the operating plan for the next few years.
2: Parler, yeah, I mean, Mike, you know this better than anyone, right? I mean, the, there's a big engine out there that pushes a lot of targets goods into the system, established relationships. Skis have never been better. Big brands make good skis. And so it's definitely a challenge to, to differentiate and stay relevant against brands with a lot more money and a lot more recognition, right? So we'll we have done, and it's been pretty successful with this is we've just really focused on the customers we can touch and giving them like absolutely different buying experience and quality of product. Right. So I think we were, if we'd known how tough it was at the beginning, we were a little naive, right? <laughs> <When> we, <got laughs> started. we may have tried differently, but we just got out there. We took time to make sure that our product was really high quality before we started selling it. We worked on R&D for almost four years before we sold our first pair. And we, we work nights and weekends to kind of make that come together. And, we have just, we have a huge repeat referral business right now. We try to get directly to the consumer. We try to treat them well. We give them a really quality product. It's personalized. We give them a different experience and that has been working for us to stand out. We almost exist, try to exist outside of that retail chain. Like we've had to carve our own space because the retail channels just do not favor the smaller brand.
0: Right. Well, you speak of referrals, I tell. I've been skiing on Parla's since I think 2018, and I'll tell anybody who doesn't ask that I'm skiing on Parla's, right? So, but I've been writing about, about you guys since probably 2015 or so. So I know a lot about the brand, but could you talk about the models that you offer and about how parlors approach to designing and handcrafting skis? Talk about some of the classes you offer and, and what people can expect for, if, I guess, two options, right? You can buy your ski or you can design it on your own. And that's really the, something that, is truly unique to any other ski company.
2: Yeah. And one of the things, uh, I'll just kind of go over the product line. This is something that's sort of evolved and changed over the years too. And so we really kind of got a, a mix and a formula that's working well now. So we have semi-custom skis where you choose the length, the model, and one of our pre-designed graphics, and then you order them. So we cover carvings through powder. It's a way like a pretty good selection there. So we cover a lot of our clients who just kind of more of a traditional grab and go experience, right? A custom ski that we offer is a different, is a sort of souped up version of that, right? Whereas you're picking pre-designed things, everybody who buys a custom ski Has a consultation with me, we talk through who you are as a skier, what terrain you want to be on, how you like to ski, right? And I build up this picture of you as a skier in my head. And then I design a ski, I send you a blueprint, finished blueprint of a ski that's completely unique to your needs, right? So we're able to control flex pattern. Side cut radius, camera profile, construction, weight, right? All those things. We work off of combinations that we know work, but you know, we're always making tweaks. If somebody's tall and thin or shorter and stronger, right? We can make these little adjustments and really dial in for, for the user's need. And, and they don't need to be super sophisticated in order to it's benefit from that. That's a common misconception. But People say, this is how I want to ski. This so is how I want the ski to feel. And then we do the engineering for you, right? And then the build class is really unique within the market. And you come and it's exactly the same process as a custom ski, but you come and work with us in East Boston for two days and you actually hands on, you do the part prep, you do the lamination, you do the cutout, varnishing, everything, except the base prep on the ski over two days. And that really gives people a sense of pride and ownership. People have been in the ski industry or have been skiing their whole lives and they've never, never done that.
0: And I, and I know by by personal experience, a friend of mine that lives in London actually designed to ski with you too. So if you're you're listening to this podcast and you're in, say, I don't know, East Asia, you can still get your skis. Yeah, handcrafted. Australia, Europe, the whole. That's amazing.
1: Well, Vic, sort of run us through what Teresia has for a line. And who is who it's built for? That's a great question, Mike. I think the current product line
3: for Tercia was launched in fall of 2021. So traditionally in the Korski or snow or cold weather, as we're calling it, palettes and the life cycles of products are, are 18 months to 24 months and sometimes longer if you're building a franchise piece. So we are at this exciting moment where we're just about hit the peak of the current product line in terms of colorations and things like that, with some minor fit and benefit. Tweaks and the line today is very much centered around a core snow consumer, and I say that loosely because for us, we really want to try to cast as wide of a net as we can while still honoring the heritage of what core snow sports really are. So that's why internally, we're never just so sort of talking about ski or snow or anything in between. Like that, my, that mentality has allowed us to look at future product lines and have versatility be one of the number one most important factors for us. So. The, type, the product line is fairly tight for now. We have 3L high-performance products in tops and bottoms for men's and women's. We have midweight insulated layers that are designed to function as just that underneath the shell and then also a standalone product. Uh, and then we have just launched new accessories like this hat and some other knit beanies and things that are going to be there for the fall 23 season. So we are very much in this brand building phase and really trying to gain some traction in some of the core silhouettes before we go ahead and make a ton of the other stuff. Interestingly, when we get past fall 23 and into spring 24, Teresia makes a pivot and starts to widen the aperture, if you will, and offer warmer weather products in spring 24. And then a really exciting approach in fall 24, which is more of a, we'll call it ambiguous, and I use that word selectively, cold weather proposition. And without giving away too much, because the industry and the buyers are just going to see that in the next couple of weeks, what our product team has really come up with is an incredible position of really unexpected styles, shapes, colors for the mountain, yet stapled on products that perform as the highest performance snow sports product there is.
1: That is awesome. So there's a little transition going on here of sorts, which is cool. Exactly. So environmentally wise, you guys are, are, are doing some of the same stuff that the Patagonias of the world are doing. Can you bring us up to speed there? Yeah, of course. Sustainability for us as an
3: outdoor brand is just as important as making sure that they pass quality insurance from a testing perspective. And it's really because we need to preserve our playground. So I would say that's also one of the bigger challenges because for us, the word sustainability and how that translates to apparel and some specific consumer product doesn't necessarily carry the same notion. And, And the reality is that some consumers, one, have a hard time paying a premium for sustainable products and on the manufacturing side, it costs us more to use recycled fabrics and trims and everything else. And then there's the perception of durability and something that is remade with other materials that weren't designed for that. Sometimes consumers have a little bit of hesitation there. So for us, it is, yes, going to be translated through product and picking eco-conscious treatments on garments and substituting recycled polyester where we can, but it's also about our process and procedures. And there are some things that we can do on the front of creation side, such as pattern efficiency to reduce waste as well as partner with some organizations like 1% for the Planet, where we're sort of in this position where we ask ourselves, are we able to reduce our carbon footprint with every single initiative that we make? It's obviously a little harder for us because we're a smaller business. We don't necessarily have the volume to be able to totally turn the switch. But it's interesting because when we look at what sustainability means to a lot of folks, we see some white space for us to help further that agenda, and then change the perceptions for how
0: consumers have felt so far. Ski Journal writer Matt Boxler did an interview with, with Eric actually in the spring, and speaking on that note, Eric said, I took a step back and took a genuine look at who I am, and it brought me back to a place of acceptance. One aspect common in Hawaii and New Hampshire, which this is probably the only aspect common with Hawaii and New Hampshire, <laughs> that applies to Teresea is a hearty respect for nature. It is rooted in acceptance we can respect our environment, but never control it. I think that's a, just a tremendous short way of, of saying what your company's goal is and knowing the environment that it plays in. 100%. And the one thing that has kind of become our
3: internal mantra as we look to the product line and in the future is exactly that. It's respecting and celebrating the fact that in New England, with an asterisk on New Hampshire, we are, we're privileged to have some of the most extreme weathers at all times of the year. So rather than solve for that, we're looking to embrace that. And our internal slogan is made for New England, ready worldwide. And we have a little asterisk on New England because in New Hampshire, we say, if we can make products that will stand the test of our home playground,
0: and by default, it should be good enough to withstand the test of the globe. Yep. So either one of you can start with this one. How do, the, how do each brand contribute to the local New England ski community? And what initiatives have you undertaken to support and promote skiing in the region? That includes sponsored skiers, athletes, et cetera. Mark, you want to? Sure.
2: Yeah. I mean, we, we kind of have three main pillars that we focus on, like our involvement around, right? So the, the first is, uh, is access to the sport. I think it's no secret that skiing is not the most accessible sport, built mm-hmm. uh, to cost and a variety of other features. Right. So we work with a company like Elevate Youth that does a lot of youth programming, we'll volunteer with them. We help them fundraise as well we work with YES over the years, Youth Enrichment Services, which is a long-time Boston company, does amazing work. Sort of the second area that ties into access is people with injuries or disabilities, right? And so we work a lot with High Fives, both on the veteran side and also with theirs, eathons, help them raise money. They're really doing a great work in getting grants and getting people back out after life-changing injuries. Kelly Brush is another group that we work with on. And then environmental. Hugely important to us as well. We make our products as sustainably as possible. We source a lot of our materials domestically to try to do that, and then so we will work with some of the backcountry alliances, Greater Backcountry, the Catamount Trail Association, to try to to work on that as well. So those are those are kind of the pieces that we try to be really active in, and then we also have festivals. We do have athletes that we're providing products and support to to try to raise their game and get them further competitions or whatever. There's people.
1: How about you, Vic? This is a great
3: topic. It's something that we noodle on in terms of like where to find the right partnerships a lot. And the the opportunities that you've had have been fairly selective, but very impactful in terms of where the communities are. And one of our biggest partners is with Gunstock. And we sort of had, for lack of a better word, uh, aligned and vibed out on the fact that a lot of people, their skiing career started in a place like Gunstock. And even if they graduate on it, they go do bigger and bigger things like Gunstock is still one of those really pleasant places to come back to. and. depending on who you ask, it's sort of like the, the spirit of New Hampshire is very nicely reflected in the way that Gunstock presents itself in their staffs and whatnot. So we, in, we engaged in a ton of partnerships with them in terms of marketing, whether it be sponsoring the pro shop or hosting their more relaxed ski racing league that happens on Tuesdays and just sort of being an advocate for them when they're looking to help to amplify their message because their messaging tends to tie in with ours. We haven't necessarily dove into sponsored athletes and things. We've more so taken a a grassroots approach with selective ambassadors. And we've actually just launched a new campaign to expand our ambassador program to increase diversity, not only in presentation, but also in geography, in location, and obviously activity as well. So I think the activity piece is great because we're hopeful that Teresia becomes this cornucopia of brand messaging where people that aren't necessarily interested in ski today, can go somewhere and learn more about ski and we're starting to help rise the tide if you will to get that going but it's it is the other thing that i would say is interesting for us is that through places like ski New Hampshire, we've been able to find these advocacy groups advocacy groups and organizations that have a, a need for apparel and branded items to help grow their business so whether it's ski kind or, or even some folks at ski New Hampshire, we've done some co-branded product to help equip their teams and get people asking about what kind of jackets those are and how to support localization.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of buzz up at Ski New Hampshire about Terracea. Jessica is in full support of what you guys are doing. And I love the fact that both of you are staying to the core. You're staying to the New England marketplace rather than trying to throw so much at the wall that you're ineffective. So I applaud you for that. What is what is some of the biggest challenges you feel you're going to face in the future as you stay competitive out there?
3: I think if for us, it's sort of a front of house and back of house question, right? I think if we're talking about the operations side, one of the bigger challenges is really just going to be finding the right operational partners to grow and scale the business at which the demand is asking us for to do it and making sure that as we get interested consumers into Teresia, we're able to serve them and we're able to continue to show that there's more demand than we can serve today. From a consumer perspective, I think one of the challenges is that, like you said before, there's a ton of brands in the outdoor apparel space and a ton of brands with larger marketing budgets that, you know, are always watching the industry as well. So sometimes when we have a really innovative idea, there's a little bit of hesitation of like, we have to get it out now before somebody else comes and does it in a much larger scale. But what keeps us encouraged about that in competitive is that we're really taking the approach of letting the consumer decide. And we're doing a lot of work to ask the consumer what type of insights and what type of things are they looking for in these products, and be sure to address those in future seasons with how we present new lines. And for us, that I think allows us to stay focused and not necessarily worry about what some of these other big brands are doing with with their resources and whatnot, and just focus on the organic and native growth that we think will help rise the tide as we get going in the future years.
1: How about you, Mark? What, what do you feel some of your biggest challenges moving forward that you're going to be facing?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think the obvious, the, the big one, right, is we continue to have more skier days than ever, but not a lot of new skiers into the industry. So I think for us and for everybody else, continuing to get people interested in the sport and get them to fall in love and want them to do it is a challenge. I think for us too, it's just staying, continuing to demonstrate that we're different, right? From the mass market and our experience is different and not getting lost in the noise, right? I think that the way that we do that is we just, I I mentioned this a couple of times, but you know, really wow people with the experience. Like I think I'll tell people all the time, this is how your ski is going to feel, right? It's going to be light and nimble, but then it's going to be able to carve and People will be like, yeah, hey, yeah, whatever, right? And then they'll email me or call me and they'll be like, this ski does exactly what you told me it was going to do, right? And I think that making that connection, having people talk about that, continuing to exist in the right pocket sells east to the right people who care about the
0: sport, who are invested in the success of smaller brands, but that's the way that we can overcome those challenges. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask each of you, where are your favorite spots to go skiing in the east? Mm, this is a good way to start fighting. You want to go first, Vic?
3: Yeah, sure. I mean, I learned at Gunstock and Loon growing up, so I got a little affinity for those places. And I live in the Seacoast, so quick day trips are great for me. And but I am—I'm a free agent. I love to go everywhere, even venture over the border. I got to give a shout out to Mount Orford up in Quebec. Yes, yes, a uh, little, little, little bit of a gem if you've never been there. I took—I sc- you know took
0: high school bus rides to Mount Orford from North Dartmouth. So, there boy, you go. Oh, I love. Boy, I does, does love it get
3: windy and cold up there? sure does but i'll tell you what when nobody else had snow down here i had my only powder days up there nice but uh, to your point though the day we left they closed the mountain because it was
2: minus 35 years Ooh. so that's because uh, everybody wasn't wearing teresia they exactly had like, the right gear no on.
3: kidding i'm over there like guys we're fine let's go but
2: safety first i guess i'm a main guy i was born in made grew up against out back in lost valley back in the day and and so i've always had a small spot for the smaller areas and the local vibes right so my family and I ski mostly in Mad River and Sugarbush up in the Valley. So those are, those are spots, but we're blessed with amazing variety in New England, right? And, and really exciting terrain. So Killington, Stowe, Sunday River, Sugarlow, the big ones, the stuff in New Hampshire as well. It's, it's all good, but I, I tend to gravitate towards those, the, the smaller,
1: slower lifts. Ooh, for a fact, I'm an independent guy and I love slow lifts because I, you need to let the legs come back before the the next run
0: the older you get the better those slow lifts get
1: exactly well last question for you guys what's next for these brands Vic? why don't you start we're super excited this is something we talk about almost every day i think for us it is
3: going to take teresia from being a core cold weather brand and into having a 365 degree offense yeah even with that comes obviously product that doesn't necessarily lend itself to core ski but You know, we understand that years have off seasons as well. And we still want to be a part of that rotation. And I think our interpretation of the outdoors is really interesting because if you look across the aisle, a lot of people default to just kind of hiking and biking in mountains. And we have a holistic view about it. So taking some inspiration from the ocean, taking some inspiration from some non-traditional areas, but trying to take some of the convenience and technical elements that make outdoor garments so popular and, and useful into everyday lifestyle. So you're going to see a lot of stuff from us that is lifestyle product that performs, as well as continuing the honor of the outdoor heritage that is doing some traction
0: so far. Love it. And Mark, what's next for Parlor? I know a few years ago, you introduced snowboards, but anything else on the horizon? Yeah, I mean, at Parler, we're,
2: we're, snowboarding is continuing to be a, a growing part of our business and part of the building class as well, which is awesome. I think more of what we're doing well is what we want to do. We want to continue to deliver. We're always working on materials and products and construction process, right? And we got to stay paced with the latest in design. We have the, the luxury of being able to build specifically for builders. So we it's all about having our big tool chest, right? And then executing with exactly the right specs to the right people. But we're going to continue to, to deliver products. We're going to keep growing. We've got some exciting stuff coming with some larger partners next year. So, there will be parlor in more places. I didn't give you all the details yet, but at some at some other mountains and places, we're going to have some products. So we're hoping to get more eyeballs out of there and then just continue to uh, to grow the products in a way that allows people to keep the same connection experience that they have now.
0: Well, I will say this for parlor when i when I first started skiing on them, I got a lot of people questioning like, "Oh parlor, I've heard of them. What are they like?" And I'll tell you what, I don't get any questions now because most of those people asking questions are actually on the parlor, so they don't, they leave me alone, which is that that's a great sort of little story that says how your word of mouth really does work. So, gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us. That was Mark Wallace from Parlor and Vic Satir, General Manager of Teresea. Guys, this is a great conversation. Anytime you want to come back, we'll we're, we're more than welcome you back on.
1: Thanks, guys. Great, thank you. Thanks guys, you guys have a great summer and get ready to rip it up this winter.
0: See you in the fall. Take care. Great guys, thank you.
1: Just following these two companies and the history, what Eric and Mark have done um, is just amazing. You know what, anybody that believes that you can't build something out of nothing with an idea is completely wrong and it's shown right here they have a belief in their product in their mission and they are doing it right and
0: i think that you know i again I, i've covered parlor many many times over the past 8 years or so and to see that business grow from uh, in the same in the same warehouse factory building they're in, in in east boston but from a small little office in the corner into when I went there three years later, you know, there's like a palat- not, well, quote unquote, palatial, not quote-unquote palatial front office there where Mark does all his consultations, and it was really just a tremendous look at how quickly a, a brand can build. Um, Parlors quality is it's known throughout the industry, and I think the fact that they're in East Boston is one of the, the things that really makes them notable, right, because they are built for the East, but they're also built in East Boston, which makes tremendous access for anyone in this area looking to actually go to a class um to you know build their own skis which you know people talk about it like it's finding welcoming the new child into the world right the the, the process is is so i think that you know in in as well which i think is just a fascinating build up company uh, to have these two companies here in new england and really representing themselves in representing the ski industry, uh, and like you said, sticking true to the New England roots, which is something we all like to say we'll do, but then when, you know, it comes time to jump ship or make make a little extra cash, in um, staying true to the New England roots, which, I, like you said, I think staying true to the New England roots is, is something is really commendable to both brands.
1: Yeah, if, if you... If you heard their stories, that they had jobs that that paid the bills, uh, we we all we all have had the job that, boy, I'm staying in it because I can't afford to leave. But these two guys jumped ship from security because they had a passion, and that passion is what we call skiing.
0: If you're looking to get more information about Uh, a build class with Parler um, or just look at any of their class of skis. I'm on the Kingfisher and I highly recommend it. Uh, Go to parlorskis.com. Same thing with Terracia. That's Terracia.com, T-E-R-R-A-C-E-A.com. You can find out all information about uh, the the models they have there and where you can buy them um, and uh, prepare for ski season. Uh, Mike, anything else? What do you got in your mind? Well, you, uh,
1: you know, my challenge to everybody, uh, I'm I'm a big fan of supporting local, uh, your local retailer, first and foremost, but your local companies. Stop going to backcountry.com or Evo. Uh, there are some great products right here in New England uh, that are designed for New England. Get out there and take a look at them because these guys all... Deserve our support.
0: Right. Just a a quick note on that is, you know, don't be the person that goes into an independent ski shop, find something, and then, you know, pull out your phone and see how much you can find it for on Amazon. Um, That's not the point of these places. The point of these places is so you're supposed to be getting this sort of service that makes you want to support these people, right? Uh, Don't go get a boot fitting at some independent shop in New Hampshire, Vermont, or Maine, And then hop on to, you know, backcountry.com and see what you can get for a cheaper price because you're kind of, you're you're tainting the whole experience in my, in my opinion. Um, If you're paying a little bit more, that's sort of the price you pay and you get to feel good for supporting a local entity.
1: Well, you know what? When everything is said and done, you're talking to a retailer, a rep, a long, long time industry person here. The prices really aren't that much cheaper elsewhere. Right. Go, go to your local shop, your local manufacturer that you trust, and give them your support. They are your neighbor, first off, but also you will get the service tenfold by doing it. And uh, Eric, I'm so, so stoked to have both of them out on today. Yeah, that was great. It was great to talk to them both. Mike, thank you very much for joining me. Eric... As always, uh, it's great to talk about New England skiing, even in the middle of summer.
0: Well, these are great. Yeah. Uh, the summer is, everyone's all relaxed, too. You notice that? Like, no one's really worried about anything else. You're just going, like, yeah, I'll go. Um, hey, by the, by the way, nice shirt. Are you
1: going to the beach?
0: No, yeah. <laughs> it's funny. I went to the bank on the way here, and the guy at the counter said, uh, Are you going to the beach? And I said, No, I'm going to work, man. Like, what do you think why don't you dress like this you know um if you have any ideas for a future podcast any guests or just you know want to touch base in general for any ideas you might have for the new england ski journal uh you can reach me by email it's eric.wilber at skijournal.com pardon me eric
2: producers note here both eric and mike
1: are wearing floral colored Hawaiian shirts? Yes. Are those Hawaiian shirts?
0: These. This is actually a Ski the East uh, brand. Uh,
1: okay. I wanted to paint
0: a picture for. So I, I really. I uh, well, wanted this, to dive in full I'm, full character.
1: I'm there. a salty crew type guy in the summer so it's salty crew <laughs> <laughs>
0: excellent you both look dashing anyway my email address uh, eric.wilbur at skijournal.com i uh, look forward to hearing from you there with any feedback uh, positive and negative but i will only read the positive so mike thank you very much for joining us uh that is the base camp podcast we will see you next time
2: new england ski journals Basecamp is a siemens media podcast siemens media Inspiring, informative, insightful.